Well, hey, it's great that we can be here together and that we can manage the tensions of all that is going on, that we can worship our God, who is always good and always kind, uh, that we can pray for our nation, uh, that we can be excited for what God is doing amongst us. Uh, this is real life, isn't it? This is what life looks like. And, um, and what a historic week it has been. It really has been a week to remember hasn't it? Uh, It's brought a huge range of emotion and feelings for all of us, I'm sure, in very different ways, uh, all of which are really valid. I think it's important at times like this to to be kind to one another, as Philippa said, and recognise that we all respond at times like this in different ways, and that's that's okay. Uh, We had the installation of a new Prime Minister on Tuesday, uh, taking office in the midst of a time of real crisis. A time of real turmoil. And then, of course, on Thursday, uh, the death of our much-loved queen. And the accession of our king. Now, this is a remarkable time and a week to remember. And, of course, uh, there is so much to say, so much that has been said and will be said about her late majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, her remarkable character uh, and her long life of faithful, humble service, all so clearly rooted in her personal relationship, her personal faith in uh, Jesus Christ. We're truly grateful to God for her. And, um, and I want to speak more about her and reflect on her example as a disciple of Christ next Sunday, uh, which will, of course, be the eve of her funeral in Westminster Abbey. Um, following the shock of Her Late Majesty's passing on Thursday and, uh, and all that has happened since, the gathering of crowds, the outpouring of tributes, uh, as I've thought and reflected and prayed on it, one thing that I hadn't really considered, uh, and I think one of the things that particularly took me aback uh, over the last couple of days was the, was the immediacy of accession, the immediacy of accession, and particularly all that we saw unfold just yesterday uh, as more crowds and trumpets and processions uh, and proclamations of our new king were sounded. Long live the king! I, I wasn't expecting to say that and I think it's taken me aback yeah and I think it's with all of that in mind that as we open God's word together today and seek comfort and encouragement from him uh, from Jesus uh, that I felt uh, led to revisit and remind us uh, of the hope-filled picture of kingship that we looked at just a little bit earlier uh, this year. And so I'd love it if you would turn with me again to uh, John chapter 12 and the account of when Jesus was received into Jerusalem as king. I'm going to begin reading from verse 12. So the great crowd that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. And at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Why don't we pray together? Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospels, these windows uh, into your life, Jesus, here on earth. And as uh, we gaze at you together this morning in the midst of uh, this turbulent week, in the midst of all that has happened, Jesus, we are grateful that we can come to you for comfort and encouragement. Praise you for your care. Would you meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. Well, it was uh, truly fascinating for me um, to watch King Charles III ascend to the throne. Yesterday, we saw for the very first time ever in history uh, what goes on in the Privy Council. Cameras went behind closed doors and we saw the remarkable mechanics of state whirring into action to formally declare Charles as king. And in the midst of the uncomfortable tension of mourning, and of uh, celebration as crown passed from mother to son. One of the big headlines which still adorns our news feeds today uh, is what kind of king will Charles be? And this is a question that has been asked for a long time, wondered at, and of course now finally we get to see the answer unfold before us. We know Charles to be a man who feels deeply and stands for and is passionate about many many important things, many important causes. And and I watched yesterday, as I'm sure many of you uh, all did, as the BBC uh, invited his old private secretary, his his schoolmaster, the, the CEO of the Prince's Trust, to come and talk about their encounters with this man who has become king and to reflect on his character, uh, what they know of him and the shape that they think he will bring to the crown, to his kingdom, to our united kingdom. And in a sense, it's similar for us as we study 
the Gospels. And as we look to Scripture week after week, and we come together to reflect on the experiences and the encounters that people had and continue to have with Jesus. And we get to wonder and reflect at Jesus's character and the shape of his kingdom. And John, in particular, after starting with the big claim that Jesus is the king, the promised king, he spends the first half of his gospel narrative recalling a series of encounters that Jesus had with different people and through which he, he gently reveals to us something of the kind of man that Jesus is, the Messiah the saviour, the king. And these encounters we know generally led to confusion and to controversy and the religious leaders of the time uh, begin to get more and more angry with Jesus and the way that he is shaking up the status quo. And this all culminates in chapter 11 uh, with the story of when Jesus uh, raises to life this man named Lazarus. Uh, And this was the last straw for the religious authorities who then begin to plot to kill Jesus. And and I find it fascinating that throughout all these early encounters that we read of in the Gospel of John, Jesus seems to try to keep a low profile. Uh, And in fact, he continually withdraws. Like after the feeding of the 5,000, this incredible episode in the life of Jesus. Uh, We read this, we read, knowing that the people intended then to make him king by force, Jesus withdrew to a mountainside by himself. This had been the pattern of Jesus's ministry. But of course, raising someone from the dead is not good for keeping a low profile. And so here is when the narrative begins to shift and it all goes off in chapter 12. And you can picture the scene. You know, it's Passover, it's one of the three compulsory festivals for the Jews and Passover in particular attracted hundreds and thousands of Jews to Jerusalem. And historians estimate that there was likely two or three million Jews gathered there at that time in that city. And in addition to that, there is already a serious buzz going on about this Jesus. And in fact, in this picture, there are two crowds. There are, there are those that are coming from Bethany who've just witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And there are those coming out of Jerusalem who've heard all about it and they want to meet this guy. You know, this is a sensational Seeing the crowds are desperate to get out there, to see what's going on, to witness it firsthand and to be a part of history. And John uses this particular gospel episode to declare loud and clear that Jesus is king. Uh, And not just the king of Israel, not just the king of one nation, or in fact, even a whole commonwealth, but king of the whole world. 
So how does John make this clear? Well, if we go back to verse 12, uh, we read, the, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So the crowds here are quoting from Psalm 118, which for the Jews was a really famous psalm of praise. In fact, it was one of uh, the psalms that young Jewish boys would have learned uh, by heart uh, as they began their training, as they began their discipleship. It was a well-known victory song, and it was something often chanted as, as men returned victorious uh, from battle. And so here we see that Jesus is being celebrated by the people as the Messiah, as the, the promised king who had come to deliver the Jews to victory over their enemies, which of course is the, the public disorder nightmare that the religious authorities at the time had feared. And so the question here is, that, well, will Jesus now walk away and retreat again? And of course the answer this time is no. So instead, in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So quite the opposite from retreating to the wilderness, retreating from the praises of the people, Jesus chooses to enact this ancient prophecy. Uh, Jesus is basically saying, yes, yes, I am the king of Israel. I am the Messiah. And he's doing it in the most public and explosive and dangerous way. Uh, but then it goes even further than that. And John weaves the story together to be really clear to us that Jesus is more than just a local, tribal Jewish king, but he is the king of the whole world. So verse 17, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word and many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You know, this is, a, this is an odd thing to say at the beginning of a Jewish festival. But John uses this unwittingly profound statement to reveal something of the rich, multi-ethnic kingdom of King Jesus and so the first point here really is the obvious one. That Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And he's not just a king, but he is the king. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. And he's the king of the non-Jews. He's your king. He's my king. He's everyone's king. And it doesn't matter who you are, 
or where you've come from, or whether you feel in or out, or right or wrong, whether you know it or not, Jesus is king. No, Jesus is king of the whole world. But what kind of king is Jesus? Well, back to verse 13. And the crowds shout, Hosanna! Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've, uh, you've probably come across Hosanna. Uh, it's an amazing word, and we use it in our songs and our communion liturgy and our prayers. Uh, it's an amazingly rich word that reveals something profound about King Jesus. Of course, we know that the the New Testament was first written in Greek and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, And uh, wherever the word Hosanna occurs in our English uh, New Testament, all the English translators have done is is to take the English letters, H-O-S-A-N-N-A, Hosanna, uh, to make the sound uh, of what was in the Greek, which actually in turn is exactly what the Greek translators and writers were doing in the New Testament to an old Hebrew phrase. So when we say in our English translations, Hosanna, well, it actually comes from the Greek transliteration, Hosanna, which in turn comes from a Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana. Hoshiana. And that Hebrew phrase is found in just one place in the Old Testament, and that is Psalm 118, verse 25, where its original meaning was simply save, please. It's a cry to God for help. Hashanah. Yeah, it's like you've just fallen into Shabwell Basin and you're desperate. You're splashing around and you cry out, save me, please. Hoshiana, save, please. And then, of course, over time, as is the way with language, slight changes began to occur to the meaning of this amazing phrase. And, and in the psalm that we Uh, read there and referred to, Hosanna was immediately followed by the exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, In the psalm, uh, the cry for help, Hosanna, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. Uh, And over the centuries, the phrase stopped simply being a cry for help, and instead it became a shout of hope. Instead of save me, please, it came to mean salvation. Salvation. Salvation has come. You know, it used to be what you'd say when you fell in the basin, but it became to be what you would shout when someone sent you one of those rings, thrown you one of those rings in, and you've got a hold of it, and you say, yes, I am safe, I am saved, salvation has come. You know, it's the bubbling over of a heart full of joy and of hope, because help is at hand. 
Hosanna moved from a cry to confidence. From help me to you've got me. And so when we sing Hosanna today, it's praise. It's our confidence in our King. Our confidence that King Jesus has saved us. Saved us from guilt and fear and hopelessness. Salvation has come. Uh, And so this is kind of where the crowds were at uh, when they shouted Hosanna to Jesus. Their saviour that they had been waiting for had finally arrived. But of course he wasn't really the saviour that they had been expecting. They were waiting for a king who was a conqueror a military deliverer who would sound the trumpet and send out the call to arms and lead their nation to its long-delayed victory over Rome and, and the world. But here Jesus reframes that picture by arriving on a donkey. And this, this was a dramatic and public fulfilling of a famous prophecy uh, recorded in the book of uh, Zechariah, and it left no doubt of Jesus' claim to be the promised king. But it was also a claim to be a certain kind of king. It's easy for us today to misunderstand this picture because for us, uh, a donkey is often uh, a silly or childish animal. But in the ancient East, it was a noble creature. And there are many examples in, in scripture and in other history books of kings and princes and judges who would ride on donkeys in peacetime. And that was the point. A king who came riding on a horse was ready for war. But a king who came riding on a donkey was coming in peace and in love. And this enacted prophecy emphasized not only that Jesus was the promised king and saviour, of the whole world, but also the prince of peace. Not a warrior king uh, set on conquering enemy nations and crushing those uh, in his way, but a king whose hand was gentle and his desire to unite and to reconcile. And to those of us who don't know him or perhaps feel that he wouldn't want to know us. This is really good news. Jesus comes not with a a sword and a desire to subdue, but with compassion and with care. King Jesus came not to conquer, but to console and to give up his power, to give up his life in order to rescue yours. 
Jesus is a king who now invites all of us into a global, multi-ethnic, hope-filled kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice and love. You know, this is the good news, that Jesus is king of the whole world. He is mighty to save and he is gentle in love. This is the good news, especially for those of us who doubt. You know, maybe you're hearing this for the first time today and, you know, you're just part of the crowd. You don't really know what this Jesus is all about. You know, or maybe quite simply the turbulence of this season and the anxieties of life just feel so much. So overwhelming. But today know that Jesus doesn't ride in on a war horse ready to take you down. But he comes in peace and gentle love ready to lift you up. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 minutes or 50 years, my encouragement to you today is to get excited, to shout and to sing of this King. And even in the midst of your doubts and your failings, even in the the midst of an unsettled and turbulent time of change and of great challenge, Because of the nature of our King Jesus, we can do more than just cry for hope, cry for help. We can be confident in hope. So as we are surrounded over the coming weeks and months by talk of King and Kingdom, uh, and in the midst of mourning, and in the midst of our very real troubles that we face as a nation and across the world, let us choose to place our confidence in King Jesus. You know, when we see division, we can cry for hope in unity and reconciliation and shout, Hosanna, salvation has come. King Jesus is here. And when we see uh, domination and oppression and fear, we can hope for freedom and justice and shout, Hosanna, salvation has come. Jesus, King Jesus is here. And no matter what is going on in our lives, we can always know an overwhelming peace and love and shout, Hosanna, salvation has come, King Jesus is here. Jesus, the King who loves us, the God who we worship. Jesus Christ, mighty to save and gentle in love. The Saviour who rides with us out of our gatherings on Sunday into life on a Monday and invites us to join in with him, establishing his global multi-ethnic hope-filled kingdom of peace and of justice, of righteousness, 
and of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together?